welcome to the Fit for the Future podcast, which helps you navigate this fast-changing world by bringing you ideas, information, interviews, and insights for being fit for the future. Here's your host, Gihan Pereira. Welcome to the podcast, and today I want to talk about the future of work. So let me tell you about a conference where I spoke recently. It was for the Travel Managers Organization, and they had their annual conference in Bangkok. It's the second time I've spoken for them. I spoke at their conference a couple of years ago, and it was great to be back because they've got a very interesting business model, and it's really relevant to the future of work. See, Travel Managers is a travel agency, but it's different from most travel agencies, and I think it's a bit different from most businesses as well. So unlike a traditional agency where there's a, an organization where everyone's an employee, uh, this works a little bit differently. Uh, every agent who's called a personal travel manager or a PTM runs their own business. So they're, they're like an individual business owner running a travel agency from home. Uh, but they can use the travel manager's license and travel managers as an organization provides other support as well. Admin support, marketing support, and of course, the power of a bigger brand. But every personal travel manager does things their own way. So they work from home, they work their own hours, they do their own marketing, they have their own way of getting and nurturing clients and so on. But because they're part of a big organization, they can leverage that size. And they can also tap into the community of other PTMs, so other people like themselves working from home with travel managers. So, so they have a very active online private Facebook group where they're sharing ideas, uh, congratulating each other, helping each other and uh, just supporting each other uh, while also being agile and independent business owners in their own right. And I think travel managers is ahead of the game. And this kind of model could work for many businesses. So you don't have to have a large organization with all its overheads and its bureaucracy and its you know internal power struggles, but you also don't have to do it all alone either. Instead, you get the best of both worlds without the disadvantages of either of them. And I reckon this is a powerful example of a successful business model for the future of work. And today I want to talk about the future of work and, and I interview an expert, Libby Sander, about exactly that. And Libby talks about a lot of things in our conversation, including things like um, a new kind of leadership that's needed for a flexible workplace. Uh, we have employees and workers who are yearning for a place, even though they can work from anywhere. We have the rise of the gig economy, and we talk a little bit about disruption and innovation. And Libby and her team have done practical research in many Australian organizations, so she's speaking from a place of authority. So let's join that conversation now. And today I'm speaking with Libby Sander, who's an expert in the future of work. And it's one of those topics that I'm really passionate about because we're going through such a revolution in business at the moment. We're seeing rapid shifts in demographics. We're seeing the shift of power around the world and many, many changes in the way that work gets done. And I'm really thrilled to be speaking with Libby today because she helps her clients understand and interpret these forces and also helps them develop a future-proof mindset around the future of work. Um, she's got credentials as long as my arm. She's regularly featured on radio and in national media, including The Australian. She talks about work, society, and future trends in organizations. She was recently featured on the ABC TV's Catalyst program, and she's spoken at a TEDx event. And she's currently finishing a PhD, so I love that she brings academic rigor to this as well, as well as real workplace experience and um, practical experience. So, so welcome, Libby. Great to have you here. Hi, Gihan. It's great to be here. Fantastic. And I love this idea of the future of work. And I know that's not the only thing that you do. So before we get looking at the future of work in detail, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got here, a bit of your background. 
I did a number of things in the past, as we all sort of have done converging on this journey. I was a human resources director for over a decade, and I now have three different businesses that um, all deal with different um, aspects of how work is changing. Um, one is really looking at how we can change our thinking, um, how we can develop foresight and greater capability um, in our mindset. Um, another one is around, yeah, as you said, sort of strategic uh, management of the workplace itself, designing different work places and you know also researching and um, putting some rigor into as you said what effect does various you know things that we might try and do in the workplace actually have in terms of various outcomes and I really love that you're looking at this this workplace of the future because it is changing and some leaders and managers can see the changes happening around them. Some of them don't see it. Some of them have a vague sense that something is changing and they, they should be doing something about it, but they're not quite sure what to do. And I've read some of the work that you've been publishing recently, including something really fascinating about ways that the work will change in the next 12 months and possibly even in the future. So I'd love to go through some of those things with you, Libby, because I think there's something, there are things there that are really practical and some of them are tactical, some of them are strategic. And the thing I love about this, Libby, is that I think whether you're a leader within an organization or whether you're a business owner or entrepreneur, um, all of the things that you're talking about seem to be relevant now. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, great. So let's look at, let's look at some of these. So I know one of them is the idea that there's going to be more work, but also more flexibilities. Tell me what you mean by that. One of the things, obviously, that you know, most leaders are aware of and, and certainly um, working in organisations or working in your own business is that um, we are seeking greater flexibility in the type of work that we're doing, where we're doing it, um, how we're doing it, you know, when we're doing it, who we're doing it with. Um, but with that obviously comes uh, very much the fact that we're probably working more than we ever have before and that will certainly be um, no surprise uh, to you as a business owner as well, Gihan. So flexibility is great and, you know, most organisations are trying to strive towards giving flexibility um, in the work to uh, their employees. But with that obviously is th there's a downside that we're generally working more. And I found that myself, Libby, when uh, the very first job that I had out of uni was working for a small software development company. And uh, um, it was great that I would finish work at 5 o'clock or 5.30 or 6 o'clock, whatever time I finished, I'd walk out the door and not think about work until I walked back in the next morning. In fact, I couldn't because I didn't have social media. I didn't have a smartphone where I could access my emails. I didn't have people who could call me 24-7. It was simply closing the door, literally closing the door, and then opening it again the next morning. But now that with that flexibility comes certain responsibilities as well, doesn't it? Yes, and essentially, you know, recent research has found that, you know, over 64% of managers expect their employees to be available outside of work. So, you know, there's a change in expectation. So the flexibility may seem like a positive thing on the face of it, but we need to be very careful about how we manage that. Um, I recently was talking to a CEO who said there is a culture that has developed in his organisation where various managers are emailing at, you know, sort of 11 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock in the morning, and it's almost become a competition to, to sort of show, well, who's working the most, who's coming up with the best ideas, uh, and obviously that type of um, extreme is not healthy. And, and it seems to be the exact opposite of what the flexible workplace is intended to do. It should be that as long as I can focus on the results that I'm supposed to achieve, then it doesn't matter when I do my work or even where I do my work. Uh, it should all be around focusing on results and goals and achievements rather than the activity. 
I think this is a really big challenge for leaders, uh, for leaders everywhere because the downside that we've obviously seen from, um, you know, the financial conditions that we've had um, in recent years is that people appreciate the flexibility. They want that. That's what uh, organisations are trying to give people. That's what employees are asking for. But people also don't want to feel like they're missing out. They don't want to feel like they have, you know, lost a deal, um, upset a client, um, you know, upset a manager. And, you know, one of the things we found in research is that when you aren't face-to-face in the office, a lot of those sort of behaviours that weren't necessarily productive but were sort of part of the culture of, um, you know, showing you're at work, being at work for a long time, people are worried about missing out. So I think that is sort of driving this, you know, desire to constantly check, um, you know, have I missed something? Yes, and I think that leads in really nicely to your second point, Libby, which is that when you've got distributed workplaces, as as we're talking about here, then you also need distributed leadership. Tell me what you mean by that. With the changes that we've seen, obviously, that I think technology has enabled this and we've seen a massive escalation in recent years. You know, the rise in co-working spaces globally, there are, there are thousands of co-working spaces now. And employees in many um, circumstances now are actually requesting to have the opportunity to work in different places. So there is no one workplace now. It can be obviously the head office, it can be at home, it can be in, you know, co-working spaces or startup incubators, uh, you know, in cafes, you know, the traditional third place. And very often for most people, it's a combination of all of those because it fits with people's, um, you know, personal life. It, it stops us all commuting into the city at the same time every day, um, which isn't very good um, for or anything really, um, sitting in traffic for two hours before you start um, mm-hmm. start your day. So the challenge is for leadership, though, is that we haven't really yet evolved our leadership development and our models of leadership to keep up with that. And so often we will have leaders who are very uncertain about, well, what does it mean if, you know, if I can't see somebody, what are they actually doing? Um, so we're unfortunately our, you know, often our paradigm of work hasn't, yet um, evolved. So we need to be looking at developing leadership um, that is also distributed and decentralised, that it's, you know, we're not just focusing on the scientific management approach, which is all about content and standardisation and everyone doing the same thing. And that's a real challenge because it's often very, very different for what many uh, leaders have experienced in their own uh, careers. So so tell me how that works in practice, Libby, if you're a leader or a manager who recognises that you need a different kind of leadership or need to do things differently, what sort of things are you teaching leaders to do differently? So there are a number of different possibilities and you um, mentioned one earlier in in, um, the conversation, which is around looking at, well, what are we actually achieving in terms of results? So instead of being focused on, well, is somebody in the building or are they actually logged onto their computer? Um, you know, we know that being simply being in the building, um, there's no correlation between that and someone actually being productive. Okay, so that's a, a mistaken um, idea that we've unfortunately hung on to for a very long time. So we really need to be looking at, um, well, what are the results that we're trying to achieve and giving flexibility to people in terms of, well, what does that person need in terms of to create their best work? What type of an environment 
um, what type of support, what type of leadership, what type of projects. And the thing is that that often changes even on a daily basis. You might prefer to do some type of work in a very quiet, concentrated environment without interruption. Um, for another task that you may have to do, you like, may like to be in a more collaborative environment where you can bounce ideas from people. Um, so the idea that we've had in the past that, you know, we sort of come in and we just do one thing um, in one type of environment all day really hasn't been conducive to productivity. And we see that with the engagement figures. We see that with productivity statistics, you know, with all of the initiatives that we've done over time, we haven't really got any better at this. Yeah, and it's interesting that we've been talking about this distributed workplaces, uh, and yet this, the next item on your list is an increased yearning for place. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think technology is an enabler, and it is a wonderful enabler. It's certainly made a lot of these things possible. But there is also the flip side of that in, in that people actually want to have sense of place. So attachment to place is something that has been very much part of the human condition for a long period of time. And the research that I have done and and have been doing in um, various organisations has actually found that it's also a very important part of us being, you know, both physically and psychologically comfortable um, and happy in uh, both our work and in our life. So, you know, if we talk about um, organisations we often don't think, well, that should be a beautiful place. But, you know, what we've actually found is, or you know, places that where we're spending a lot of time, and obviously we do spend a lot of time at work, we actually need to have certain things that will help us be physically and psychologically comfortable. So, you know, we've seen Amazon opening a physical store um, in Seattle last year. And, you know, even, you know, Gen Z preferring to read print books than e-readers. So I think... You know, it's not an either-or question. It's very much, you know, yes, the digital has a place, but um, the analogue also has a very significant place. And, um, you know, we're certainly in our urban renewal um, issues and, and problems that we're having in cities, that is something that um, having an attachment to place is a very um, important part of the human condition. So how do you resolve that, what seems like a contradiction, Libby? It seems like at one, on one side you're saying we should be more decentralised and we should get away from the traditional office. And yet on the other hand, you're also saying that we, we need a sense of place. Is it, it, does it come down to choice and individual choices? Absolutely. Uh, it's very much about choice and flexibility. So not having the requirement that people all come into the head office every day. Um, Many organisations are now providing memberships to co-working places for their staff so that they do have these choices. And the other bonus that comes with that is that, for instance, Google has a, on the ground floor of its new campus in London, has a free co-working space. So you can go in there and work. Um, You can be alongside employees from Google. Um, You are developing all kinds of new relationships. From Google's point of view, it's a fantastic recruitment tool for them because they might be working alongside um, someone for a few weeks. They get to see, well, does this person fit into the culture? Um, They're gleaning ideas from that person. And so if you are in a co-working space instead of in your office every day, you're making new connections, you're building social capital, you're hearing ideas from a whole range of different disciplines. So the benefits for the organisation in terms of learning, um, you know, connections, networking, um, and obviously the engagement and happiness of staff are, you know, enormous. And that's a really clever idea from Google, Libby, because I've heard some people say that, you know, companies like Google and Apple and Yahoo famously now require everyone to work 
um, on site. So they've got rid of telecommuting or sometimes they never even had it in the first place. And so I've heard people say, well, if they, it's good enough for Google and Apple, it's good enough for us. So how do you resolve that issue? So I guess I have a few different opinions in relation to the organisations that you've uh, mentioned. One of the things about building a successful, I, I think, community and a successful physical place is that it's somewhere that people want to be. So you are basically placemaking, as we sort of heard of in you know, city design and, and urban design, um, but you're making a place where people would prefer to be, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that not giving people the choice, though, to work from home on a particular day um, you know, or to work from a co-working space um, is both impractical and, and just silly because at the end of the day, um, you know, obviously there's, there's going to be fairly immediate downsides for that if, if you're making me sit in traffic for two hours a day. I think the issue that came up with Yahoo was that they were finding they weren't innovating. You know, they weren't being able to keep up with the um, Googles and the Facebooks of the world. So the idea was getting people to have that face-to-face connection, that collaboration, that serendipity that comes um, from having people in one place. And that is true. The problem is, is you can't force that. And as soon as you tell people you must be here every day at this time, um, you're obviously immediately building resentment. And so if it's an innovation issue, you have to look much more broadly to that and say, well, if people aren't coming into the workplace, if they don't want to be here, then why is that the case? Is it because our physical workplace is is not somewhere where they feel they can do their best work? Or is it because the culture is something that is, you know, toxic or or not enjoyable to them? You know, what's the reason? But um, simply dictating to people to be here doesn't solve anything. Yeah, great. Interestingly, everything we've talked about so far seems to um, have an underlying implication or assumption that we're talking about full-time or permanent employees. And and yet, I know that one of the other trends, which is on your list, is the growth of the gig economy. Absolutely. So it's um, already 34% of the US workforce. We've got, you know, growing numbers, similar numbers in Australia as well. And that's obviously been driven by a number of factors, you know, recent financial financial conditions. But also people are just not wanting to be in an organisation doing one job all of the time. Uh, you know, recent research that we've been looking at is showing that people will often have three or four completely different jobs. So, you know, one person um, is an accountant by day, but has his own um, butcher shop that he runs as well, that he gets an enormous amount of sort of meaning. And um, the, I don't know if you saw um, Bespoke on ABC last year with Marcus Westbury, who's the founder of Renew Newcastle. So there's this huge rise in the maker movement, um, both in Australia and around the world. So people are wanting to explore different things, um, to do different types of jobs, and often to do those all at the one time. So that could be a combination of, yeah, full-time work and, and these different sort of projects or hobbies on the side, businesses on the side, or, you know, as we're seeing increasingly, a huge number of people freelancing. And what I think is really interesting is that 50% of freelancers who were surveyed recently um, indicated that they wouldn't go back to a traditional job, no matter how much money they got uh, offered. And I think that's really fascinating. 
Yeah, I think so too. And I think it's just opened up uh, work and jobs for people who otherwise may not, not find it so easy. So um, parents going back from paternity leave or maternity leave now have opportunities to do that sort of work without having to necessarily go back into an office. Um, my dad has just recently made himself available online as a proofreader. Now, my dad's retired. He's 78 and uh, he retired many years ago. He's a chartered accountant by, by profession and by experience, but he, he's got a very strong command of written English and he's got very high attention to detail and he just decided that he'd like to do some proofreading work just as freelance and not going and working for a marketing company or a publisher but he can do that online from the comfort of his home office. I think that's one of the most fantastic things you know the one of the biggest benefits of the, of the freelance and economy and the sharing economy is that it's allowing much greater participation in the work force than we've ever seen before and you know greater opportunities for social inclusion so we're seeing that is a significant problem in most communities and most cities uh, with you know changing structures that we're seeing within the family unit and within the state and so you know for people uh, for the well-being of, of our citizens and our communities and our cities those opportunities for social inclusion are extremely important so you know, that's one way that that can happen. But by providing physical places, you know, it could be a free co-working space within a library um, or another, you know, there are sewing co-working spaces now where people can go and feel part of a community and feel included, I think is a very important social factor. And I love that you're always uh, blending those ideas, Libby, that you're not just saying people are going to be cocooned, to use a phrase that was uh, that was popular some years ago. And they're just going to be sitting in their homes all day having hamburgers and pizzas delivered to them by drones and never getting out to see people. But you're saying that in addition to being able to work remotely and independently and in distributed teams, they also have places and spaces that are designed especially for them to interact with other people. Look, absolutely, and that's how the co-working movement started because you had all of these, uh, you know, freelance um, startup tech people who were hanging up in their lounge rooms and their garages who were deciding, you know, after a period of time there's only so much you can talk to yourself and, you know, you need to connect with other people. It's part of the human condition um, to solve problems and the best way to do that often is face-to-face. So I think it's super interesting that, you know, the co-working movement was actually started by you know, tech people um, who were the, you know, I guess who have been enabling this change, but they were the ones who really wanted the face-to-face change. Okay, let's let's talk about disruption and innovation, which are two buzzwords that are very popular at the moment, Libby. Um, So the next item on your list says, expect to be asked what you are doing to disrupt and innovate in your job. I think once, and look, it may still be the case in some organisations where you would have um, special departments, special buildings, you know, special super secret places in organisations where, you know, these were the research and development people, these were the innovation people, um, and other people did other jobs. And that's simply not the case anymore with um, the way things have changed. You know, everyone is expected to, you know, or everyone should be expected to be able to be part of that conversation about well, what does it mean to innovate? What does it mean to change, you know, how we engage with our customers, you know, what people actually want? Because if you are excluding the people who are at the front line, who are in a range of different roles in the organisation, you're excluding, um, obviously, people who may have the best ideas for, you know, what could really be a breakthrough innovation in your business. I think we need to be careful that people are already 
getting a little bit tired of the words disruption and innovation because a lot of people feel anxious about that. You think, well, if I'm sitting in this particular job, I don't feel like a creative person, I don't feel innovative, I, I don't feel like I'm an entrepreneur, I don't want to leave and um, do a startup. So, you know, what do I actually do? And so I think we really need to rethink how we are helping people to um, understand the role that they can play in terms of um, innovating and, and creating value within organisations. And, and where does it start, Libby? Is this something that you have to think about right from recruitment or is this something that happens as part of ongoing development or is it something that happens when you're putting teams together to, to collaborate in a particular project? I think it has to be across all of those things. I think obviously you, you know, have people within your organisation now that we have to think, all right, well, how can we support people to feel confident that they can be part of this innovation conversation. So that's one thing. Uh, you know, in recruitment, it's something we need to start to value in terms of well, who are we bringing into the organisation. And then I think we need to be super careful about, you know, our ideas of what do we do with bringing teams together. So, you know, one of the large banks in Australia actually pays for its staff to be members of co-working spaces. The CFO regularly goes one day a week to work in a particular co-working space so that they are uh, part of a conversation with different people. So this idea of all of the innovation happening within your team um, on an agenda item every Wednesday, you know, we do innovation. I think that isn't really very successful uh, in most organisations. And if you look at, for example, how Lego approaches something like this, uh, obviously they're one of the most secretive organisations in the world in terms of their development, and yet they will go to the South by Southwest Festival in the US, um, you know, they will get one of their staff and they'll just create an open space innovation, they'll have music, and they'll have anyone who happens to come by, um, you know, they might have some prototypes there, and so they will be gathering the best ideas from maybe there's a poet at that festival, there's a musician, there's a tech person, and you can imagine the kind of value and the perspective that brings to the conversation that, that they can take back um, with them. So I think we have to have a much more open source idea about well, where do we get our ideas from, much more multidisciplinary. Seems like a much healthier approach to innovation by saying let's create the time, the space and the permission to innovate rather than saying, oh, you know, what, how do you disrupt your work today? Exactly. I mean, if someone came along and said that to you at your desk, it would feel pretty intimidating. I'd be quite intimidated if someone said that to me. Yeah, but again, it's a leadership imperative, isn't it, to create those environments where people can innovate and innovate at the speed, the pace, the, the style that they want. That's right. And as you said, it, often it does very much come back to the environment. So some of the research we've done, we've been doing um, cortisol testing um, on employees in different environments. And, you know, we can say, well, do you feel really stressed? Is this environment make you feel productive or comfortable? And someone might say, oh, well, no, look, I don't feel that stressed. But when we actually um, do some of this research, we find that they're very stressed and they're also not creative. So when we do, you know, for instance, creativity tests in different types of environments, people will often double their creativity output on the same test mm, simply mm. by changing the environment that they're in. So we very much underrated the effect in terms of our psychology, our cognition um, and our physical behaviour that the environment does have. Yeah, right. Wow, that, that's huge. Okay, so the, the last one on your list, Libby, um, in the, the workplace of the future, uh, you've, you've called Don't Label Me, which I'm intrigued by because I think I agree with you and uh, I love this idea, but I'd love you to talk about it a bit more. 
I think one of the things that um, came out of, unfortunately, the um, Taylor scientific management approach that is still very prevalent, unfortunately, in many of the systems we have in organisations is, well, you know, if we can't measure it, we can't manage it, and we need to sort of find a way of classifying everything so that we can um, figure out what to do with it. And unfortunately, we sort of put humans into that category as well. So we said, well, in order to understand how I can talk to Gihan, I need to give him some sort of definition of what he's like and unfortunately a lot of the science behind that um, has been proven to be you know invalid um, so I recently um, posted an article on the MBTI which is one of the most famous personality inventories um, and most people don't like being labeled um, because you may not you're not always the same version of yourself and so we've been able to show that in research that what you're doing, who you're doing it with, the environment that you're in may actually influence you to be a different version of yourself. So simply labeling you as always the extrovert or always the introvert or always the, you know, the numbers guy or the detail guy may not necessarily be very helpful. And it's certainly not very helpful in terms of giving you the flexibility to develop your mindset to, and to grow across different areas. So, you know, the reality is we, um, regardless of how different we are individually, We've all got different moods. We'll have different types of work we need to do at any different point during the day. And we may prefer a different type of environment to do that in, in order to work at our best. And that's what we need to be embracing rather than just trying to put everyone into a pigeonhole and then sort of shut the door and, you know, he's the introvert. So we'll just shut the door and put some food under the, (laughs) under there once a week. Yeah, great. So, Livy, you've shared some great ideas about ways that work will change in our future. Um, I'm just curious to know whether you think that these apply to leaders everywhere, um, within organisations and senior management, business owners and entrepreneurs. Are there particular things that are more relevant for, let's say, an entrepreneur compared to a middle manager within an organisation or vice versa? I think there will be um, different emphases, definitely. Obviously, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're doing a startup, um, you probably haven't had time to develop some of the systems. You're probably not doing things like personality inventories on your employees because you're trying to, you know, perhaps figure out how to raise capital and, and get the product to market. So it really depends on perhaps what stage an organisation is at and, and what industry that they're in, where the emphasis is at the moment. But these principles that we've looked at in terms of, you know, where we're actually doing the work, what's the environment like in terms of supporting people, how we're approaching mindset, how we're developing capability, definitely I think applies to, you know, across all leaders. Yeah, fantastic. So I know that we've only really just scratched the surface of the way that work will change and workspaces and workplaces will change. Um, how do people get in touch with you, Libby, and what sort of clients do you like to deal with if someone does want to find out a little bit more about what you do and get some individual help from you? So the best way to get in touch with me is through my website, um, libbysander.com. So you can contact me there by phone, email, um, through various social media. Um, and I work with a range of different organizations from Microsoft in Europe, organizations like Lendlease, um, you know, through to um, startups and small to medium businesses. So very happy to have a conversation um, to talk about where, where people are at. Great. And I want to give you the last word, Libby, any last message that you'd like to share? We really do need to think differently about how we've approached work and how we're going to change things in the future to be able to get, you know, a different outcome. Brilliant. Libby Sander, thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Gihan.
I hope you enjoyed the conversation and got some ideas for your own business or your own workplace. I think this is really important if you're a leader and especially if you're an experienced leader because if you're an experienced leader and you've been doing this for many years, maybe even many decades, then some of the things that may have worked may not work anymore and you may not realize it. So you might still be trying to do things the old way and not realize that the future of work is quite different. So you need to lead and manage differently. So please listen back to that conversation I had with Libby because there's some real gems in there if you're a leader in the future workplace. Now, if you want to know what's on the horizon for the future of work and the future in general, then download my new app. It's called Fit for the Future, and it's available for both iPhones and Android phones. And I created this app because many people come up to me after my keynote presentations, and they ask me how I do my own research, what blogs and books that I read, what podcasts I listen to, what videos I watch, because they want some recommendations so they can go back and become fit for the future themselves by keeping on top of what's coming up ahead. So I created this app. So I update it regularly with news and articles and videos and book recommendations, podcast recommendations, and other resources to help you become fit for the future. It's free and is ad-free, so head over to the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store and download it now. It's called Fit for the Future. I'm also running a webinar on Thursday the 27th of October about how to create your own mobile app. So if you're interested in that, come along to the webinar. It's called Build a Mobile App in One Hour because it really is possible now to create a really high-quality smartphone app very quickly. In fact, in the webinar, I'll build an app for you live in an hour and you see just how easy it is. So go to gihanperera.com and if you do that before the 27th of October, you'll see a big fat icon on the right-hand side. So click that to find out more and register for this webinar. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and found something valuable for your personal and your professional life that will help you become fit for the future. And if you did get some value from it, I'd really appreciate it if you could do me a favor and give me a review and a rating on iTunes because that helps promote it to other people as well. And if you want me to share ideas like this at your next conference, then check out my speaking at gihanspeaks.com, G-I-H-A-N, S-P-E-A-K-S dot com. And if you want to engage with me in other ways, uh, go to Gihanperera dot com, G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. And there you can find my blog, my newsletter, podcast, videos, and my webinar series. And they're all free, and they're all designed to help you become fit for the future. This is Gihan Pereira. Bye for now. For show notes, past episodes, and more, visit gihanperera.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.